0: You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture.
1: I've been acting since I was um, probably like 10 years old. I just had a family of actors, and so I decided I'd go into teaching it, and so I've, a lot of my stuff has been done in educational theater, um, But he asked me to come up here because I've had an experience with it and wanted to kind of share what it takes to act. Um, essentially, acting is, is putting on a completely different person, and it takes a lot of effort and a lot of studying and to prep to try to put on some, somebody else, because you have your own kind of mannerisms that you carry with you, your own voice, your own experiences. You have to learn to shed that and to put on somebody else's. So I'm going to kind of talk through the basic 101 of what actors do when they take on a role. Um, the first one is, yeah, you get your script, obviously, is the very beginning. And the script will give you certain things directly that tell yourself about your character. Okay, somebody will refer to you as, as a certain age or refer to you as a certain role, like a father and so you can take things directly out of the script, obviously, that you can begin to make your character from. Okay, the second part is indirectly. So there's a lot of things that the script will give you, emotions you have, but it won't tell you directly. So you have to kind of make those up yourself. So the example I put in here was, let's say you have a very um, uh, defiant character. Okay, somebody that's, that's defiant And so you got to figure out, well, what made him this way? The script doesn't tell you exactly, and that might pick up when you're, you know, midway through your life. And obviously things in your childhood would have shaped that. So you as an actor have to come up with your own backstory, okay, to help yourself become, play this role. And usually that's discussed with your director, but you you can think it takes a lot of work. Okay, why would I be acting this way? What's brought me to this point? The script doesn't give you that. So it's something you got to create, take hours of studying to take on. So after those kind of basic things, you begin then to actually take on those, those mannerisms you, you studied. So the first one being movement, okay? That's a big one. We have very natural things we do that indicate who we are. Like I could probably watch and imitate a lot of you, how, some of your mannerisms, okay? And so we got to learn to shed that, like I said, and put on our character's mannerisms. So you study your movement. How old are you? What's happened? Have you, you had any accidents? Is it going to cause you to walk a certain way? Um, next, you go on to your voice, okay, how are you going to deliver, what's your rhythm, um, you know, what kind of pitch do you want to have, sometimes you obviously have to get on an accent, so a lot, I mean, it's, like I said, you can see this starting to pile up, it takes a lot of effort to, to kind of take on a new person. Then you have the, just give me one more second, sorry, I want to find my spot, your emotions, okay, that, and that's a very important thing for characters, like what drives your emotions, um, and what sets you off? So what kind of situations in the script will, you know, sometimes you don't even have a line, but somebody else will say something and the people watching you, you have to have some type of reaction. You know, if somebody is talking about an issue, you'd be sensitive about, you're not just going to sit there with a blank stare. You're going to have some type of, whether it's, you know, brings you a smile, brings you a little bit of anger, brings some judgment. Um, you have to study what emotions would you have under certain circumstances, um, Then there's these different methods. So I'm just kind of giving you a very basic overview of different things you have to study. But then there's these different methods that they teach you. The first one, the most famous one, is you actually become the character. So after you've studied, do all these different things, your goal is to, in this performance, actually try to become the character. Like think like them, act like them. You kind of lose yourself completely. Um, And like I said, it takes a lot of time with all those different pieces. Um, You have a lot of mental preparation before you go up. Because you gotta like you know you have to say okay I'm getting out of myself into this new character, and then after the show it takes you time to get out of character they call it so getting into character getting out of character, um, that's the most famous one. Then there's another one which is even I think is interesting I've never tried it, but one where you know what your emotion is you don't want to truly become the character so you try to authenticate a, a genuine emotion by. Conjuring up your your own past experience. So, uh, the example I put in here is let's say you're, you know, somebody in the script broke up with you and you need to be a wreck and, you know, break down, have a wreck. You've never really experienced something that kind of, that type of situation, but you have a moment in your life maybe when somebody passed away that caused you a lot of sadness, or, you know, for some people when they're growing up, like losing an ant, like a dog, when they could kind of think back to what was really tragic for them, and they'll use that. To fill in for that emotion, okay. Everything I'm talking about so far, you can tell, is is not genuine. Everything you're coming up with is is the you know putting on something else, deceive. You're trying to fool people into thinking you're something different than what you really are. Um, And so, what I did was just to finish this off is I took some uh, everything I just said. I took some famous people I researched yesterday to kind of give you an idea of the extremes that some of the most popular, as we know or our culture knows as the most popular actors have done to become their role. So the first one I researched was Halle Berry. And she did a role in um, a 1989 film where she had to play a drug addict. And so what she did was she decided not to shower for a month so that she could get that idea of what it would be like to really live that type of a role where they're not showering. She actually had a cop take her into a a, um, heroin den or drug den to, to see what these people are living like in a day-to-day experience. So a lot of efforts she made to kind of see, okay, what are these pe- what does this look like in the real situation? What do I need to be like so I can really get into this character? Another famous one that you guys probably know is uh, Tom Hanks in Castaway. For as far as a physical, he had to really show the, the physical parts of, of playing somebody different. And so throughout a course of about a year and a half, he you know was one weight and then... And about, they stopped filming for about a year, and he lost 50 pounds in a year's time so that he could play and grew out his hair, grew out his beard, so that he could portray that character. Okay. And then finally, my favorite one, which I will end on, is um, Academy Award winner Daniel Day-Lewis uh, for The Parole of Lincoln. Was so into, they call it method acting, the one where you're putting on this, this other character. He, um, on the set, they said he never broke character for three months. And that he had everybody, even off film or off, you know, screen time, had to refer to him as Mr. President. And uh, the only person he allowed to talk to him was Steven Spielberg as director, but he'd still have to refer to him as Mr. President. They would not allow him to refer to him as, as Daniel Day-Lewis. They wouldn't allow anybody to talk to him that had a British, British accent because he um, needed to try to keep his, vo- you know, his voice the entire time. So he really, that was his method. I need mean, to become this. Off camera, on camera. Um, oh, and there's one more. I'm sorry. One more I wanted to point out. The other Academy Award winner, um, Heath Ledger, when he became, I think a lot of you are familiar with this one, when he played Joker, he locked himself in a hotel room for six weeks, and, they, and he said he didn't come out until he had mastered his vocals, his physical posture, kind of the mind of the, of the Joker. And a lot of people said it could have contributed to to his unfortunate passing because he got so into this dark place and this dark role. Um, So acting, you know, is is very challenging. The ones that do it well are going to go to the extreme, as you can see. But obviously, it's not real. I mean, these people are putting on a facade. They're they're not themselves, uh, is, is the point. It takes hours and hours to get to where you can not be yourself. Uh, of, of research and study. So I just wanted to give you that, and I, it'll segue into what Josh has to say today about acting. So thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks, I, uh, I appreciate him, him showing us the great links that, that actors go to um, because in our, in our message that we're talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses this analogy of an actor. Uh, And he calls that person a hypocrite. It's someone who is performing for the sake of of applause. And it takes a lot of work to act. It takes a lot of work to put on the role of someone else. Unfortunately, we've all kind of been indoctrinated into doing this. If you know it or not... Many of us are are acting, even this morning, in that we said, okay, there's a role, there's an expectation of me, and so I have to basically put on a certain character. Now, you probably don't realize you're doing it because you've been doing it so long, like these actors that lock themselves in a hotel room for six weeks, they want to become that person. But unfortunately, when we try to become someone and it's not real, it's hypocrisy, it's It's fake. And I want to challenge you guys that even today, many of us have done that. Uh, I would dare say there's there's men in this room who have maybe a stereotype a, a, a in their mind of what does a godly man look like, and so I have to get up and I have to make myself go to church today, and I have to put my arm around my wife, and I have to look like I'm leading my family, but I'm not really leading my family. It's a performance. There's some moms in here that I would say have a mentality that my kids have to act a certain way in front of other people so that I will look like, so that I will look like a, good, a good parent, right? And so we say we want our children to behave when we come to church, not because we want to give glory to God, but because we care too much of what other people think about us. What would they think if my kids d- disbehave? That's acting. It's, it's hypocrisy. And it doesn't stop there. It even goes into the preacher and the worship leader who comes up before a group of people and says, okay, I have to say all of the right things. And I have to make sure that everyone thinks I'm entertaining and everyone thinks that I'm insightful and I have to say something that none of you have ever heard before so that you will will listen to it. It's all acting, isn't it? It's hypocrisy. When you care more about what other people think than you do about what God thinks about you, then that's going to determine how you act inside of the church and inside of your faith. We need to see a narrowing of these two different people. The person that I am Monday through Saturday and the person that I am on Sunday needs to be the same person. That's what it means to live a life of faith and be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is addressing on the Sermon on the Mount. In this section of verses 1 through 18, as I was thinking about this this week, I really started to wonder, why do we do this? Why do we, why do we pretend so much? Why do we care so much about what other people think about us? Why do we take the good things that God created and turn them, that, that are meant for His glory, and then turn them into things for our own glory and for our own attention? Jesus, in this passage in Matthew, He takes three good things. He takes giving, prayer, prayer and fasting, and basically shows the people how they're using them for, for this own glory. And so I was kind of processing through this week and, and saying, well, why, do, why are we so prone to do that? Uh, what I realized is that we pretend or act or, or play church because our hearts do not truly know who God is. We don't know who the Father is. Now, my mind may know God. Right? I can even confess God in songs like Great is Thy Faithfulness. But the reality of my, my actions and my motives are going to show what I truly believe to be true about God. Now Jesus, in this passage of Scripture today, is going to, is going to choose one particular person of the Godhead... He's going to choose Father. We know that God exists as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to pick the, person of the, uh, the personhood of the Father in the Trinity, and He's going to really focus on who God is as Father. He's going to, to use the word Father ten times in the passage of Scripture in verses 1 through 18. That should stand out to us. It should be something when we see repetitive words being used, it's something really important. And this is why God is going to choose, this is why Jesus is going to choose Father and focus on Father. Because when we, when we, when we get God right, when we, when we understand who God is as our Father, then all the other things that we do will naturally fall into place. So we use these four questions here at Red Sea as kind of a framework for what we do. Who is God? What has He done? Who are we and what should we do? If we have a wrong understanding of who God is, then when it comes to the doing and it comes to my identity, it's going to be wrong. It it filters down. So if I don't have a proper understanding of who Daddy is, if I don't understand the Father, then when it comes to my actions, they're going to be all out of whack. I'm going to pretend. I'm going to care a lot more about what you guys think about me than I am of what God thinks about me. And this is the issue that Jesus is trying to address here. So here's my main point of today's message. And I believe it's the main point of Jesus. When we are insecure before God, we will seek security in the praise of men. And when we know our standing before God, then we do not need the praise of men. Right? When I get God right, then when it comes to the stuff you do, the disciplines, we call them spiritual disciplines in the church, praying, worship, giving, um, fasting, those things will naturally fall into pra- place when we understand who God is. So this is what Jesus is going to talk about in Matthew 6, 4 through 15. So I want to invite you guys to stand as we read uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 4 through 15. Uh, hear the word of the Lord. And when you pray, uh, you must not be like the hypocrites, Uh, Father, uh, we come before you uh, talking with, uh, with our dead, uh, wanting to hear from you today. Uh, God, I, I, I do believe that um, I, from my actions, it shows I have a wrong understanding of who you are. Uh, Father, uh, you know in my life and in and, and, and our lives as a, as a community that, uh, that we do uh, care a lot about what other people think about us, um, and so we, we act uh, Father, so today I would ask that you would open up uh, the eyes of our heart to be able to take off the mask, uh, to stop pretending, uh, to stop thinking that it's okay to pretend and all that really matters is what is what uh, people see on the outside, but it's, it's the heart that you really care about. So God, uh, we just ask that you would do that in us today, that you would uh, bring forth those areas of our lives, those insecurities, uh, and that we uh, would... Uh, would see you do an amazing work that when we pray, Father, uh, that we would pray for the right reasons uh, because it's, our, it's our, our way to communicate with you and not, uh, not just for the, the approval of others. So we ask that you do this in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. So in the passage uh, today, uh, the problem uh, specifically that Jesus is, is addressing is, is one of prayer, as we can see from the passage of Scripture. We did giving last week. Prayer this week, and then we're going to talk about fasting next week. So the religious people had taken a, a spiritual discipline, prayer, something that's a, a really good thing that God created, and they had basically turned it into, into showmanship. So uh, in their minds, the, the, the disciplines, the primary purpose of the disciplines is so that God would, would approve of them. Um, secondarily, they also loved the approval of, of men. But they believed that the, the reason they had to pray and the reason they had to pray a certain way is because that was the way that God approved of them. They found their, their, their worth in their actions. So their view of God was one of a, of a slave driver, right? That needed you to do all the right things in order to receive the favor of God. This was the sin of the, of the Pharisees. So, so they view God as a slave driver and not as a, as a father who loves them because they are his children, not because of anything that they do. This is why Jesus chooses the word father ten times in this section of Scripture because that's the problem. They don't understand who the father is. They don't understand that they are his children who are loved, not because of what they do, but because of what he has done for them. Now, the story of the prodigal son is a real famous story, is a great example of this, of this point in, in the Scriptures. As you guys know, in the story of the prodigal son, there's three characters in the story. You have the father, you have the prodigal son, and then you have what's called the older son in, in the story. So as you guys know, the story goes, the prodigal son decides to leave the family, and he wants his inheritance, and he goes and he wastes it on um you know uh, wine women and, and friends and, and uh and, and uh and wild living until he runs out of money and he 's poor and He's wanting to eat what the pigs are eating, and he's starving to death. And he says, Hey, I can go back. Maybe I can go back to my father and ask him if he will at least allow me to be a servant in his household. So the prodigal son returns to his father's house. And, and we know from the story the father embraces the son. He puts his cloak on him. He gives him the ring. He slaughters the fattened calf. And they have this big party because the son has returned, right? That's the, our view of who God is God is father. And and he it doesn't matter what we have done he he wants us to be a part of the family he is welcoming us back into the family right so what does the older son do in the story that's the third character that gets left out a lot in the story the older son is standing outside of the house he's looking in at this party going on and uh, and look what look what he says here. He says, all these years and so the father comes out to the older son, he says, Hey, come into the party, your brothers return. And this is what the older son says. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, and you never threw a party for me. You see that mentality? He believed that he deserved the party because of all of his slaving. But the prodigal son, he hadn't done anything right, and he was the one that was welcomed into the family. That's the heart of the Pharisee that Jesus is talking so powerfully against. They believe that their right behavior brought them favor with God. Now church, it is imperative that we understand that God as a father loves us not because of what we do but because of who he is and because of what he has done. Now we may say that Look at the way that you live, and that will show if you truly believe that, if you truly believe that. Jesus, in, uh, in the beginning of his ministry, when he was baptized, he came up out of the water after the baptism. Do you remember what Jesus said, what God said to Jesus when he came up out of the water? Behold, this is my son, and what? In whom I am well pleased. Now think about that. Jesus hadn't done anything except for being born at this point. Jesus hadn't done any miracles. Jesus hadn't told any parables. He hadn't cast out any demons yet. Yet God was pleased with him. Why? Because he was his son, right? Jesus understood that. He understood that that God loved him not because of what he was about to do, but he loved him because of, of who he was. Jesus brought the Father great pleasure because he was related to the Father, but he was a part of the Father's family. And I think we just need to stop and rest in that reality. That we bring God great pleasure. Not because of my actions, not because of, of how much I pray or how much I give to the church or how many people that I help. We bring God great pleasure because we are his children. And he created us. And when we get that, and when our heart gets that, it changes the way that we pray to him. It changes the way that we give. It, it changes the way that, that we interact with him. There's a plenty of scriptures that say this throughout the Bible, but here's just a few of them. 1 John 3 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. So we are. 1 John 4.10 And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the promises of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. John 1, 12 through 13, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I love that passage of Scripture. I was saved, I was born, not of the will of man, not of my actions, not of the will of other people, of what they think about me, but of, but of God and what he has done for us. Jesus was able to live such an obedient life because he knew God. He knew who the Father was. And we see Jesus throughout his life constantly getting away just to hang out with Dad. He goes to places. He, he removes himself and he isolates himself. He goes to mountaintops. He gets out of the crowds. He goes into the wilderness because he needed to spend time with the Father in order to be obedient to what God was calling him to, calling him to do. We need to learn to pray the way that Jesus did. And that starts with a right understanding of who God is. So Jesus starts off teaching on prayer here by showing us what not to do. First off here in, uh, in verse 5, he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Uh, the Jews were called to public prayer three times a day. This is something that God had established a long time ago. It was a it was a good thing. Uh, they were used to standing in the to someone standing up in the synagogue and praying over them, uh, similar to what we do. What I just did for you guys, I, I prayed over you. This is a part of Jewish faith. It's a part of Christian faith too. Uh, corporate prayer is a good thing. Like, we, we, we practice it here a lot in the church. Uh, one of the things that the Jews did that we don't is uh, during the day, during those three times during the day when they were called to prayer, a trumpet was sounded that you could hear across the city. And when that trumpet was sounded, uh, in the morning, uh, during the afternoon sacrifice, and again in the evening, you were to stop wherever you were, and you were to turn and face the temple, and then you were to pray out loud, right? This is a part of their faith that God had created. Like I said, it was, a, it, was a good, it was a good thing for them, for them to do. Unfortunately, uh, they had taken that opportunity to pray to God, and they had used it uh, for themselves. Uh, they had used it basically, to use the phrase last week, to toot their own horn. They would pray loud obnoxiously so that everyone would hear, not because they cared about the Father, but because they needed the approval of other people. So they were obnoxious uh, out, out loud in, in, front of, uh, in front of other people. It's easy for us to think about that and criticize them for, for that. But I think we all struggle with that same temptation, if we're going to be honest with ourselves. Uh, if, I, if I have to pray out loud, we think many times, what's the first thing that pops into my mind? Everybody's going to hear me, aren't they? Right? And like, well, oh crap, I, I'm going to have to say something out loud. So I need to say something insightful. Uh, if everybody's going to hear it, they need to, uh, they need to hear something powerful and illuminating so that they will know the glory that is Josh, right? I mean, that's the struggle that we have in, in, in praying out loud. Uh, everyone's going to hear it. In, in the passage of Scripture here, they were taking it and using it to, to toot their own horn. I don't see this a whole lot in our church. I, I really don't. I don't see people who are taking prayer and using it as an opportunity to, to gloat about themselves or to boast over themselves. But what I do see in this church is I see uh, a, a group of people, a group of God's children who are all honesty are afraid to pray. And we're afraid to pray because we care too much about what other people think about us, don't we? When, when part of relational elder training that we do on Sunday nights, when we started off, we started off praying together, and we start off every every session. Pray, we say, "Okay, we're going to all pray. We're going to pray together out loud," and then we end the session praying out loud together. It was hard for some for some of the guys in that group because they're just not used to doing that, and it was a good exercise for them to learn to pray not because of what everybody else thinks, but pray because they're because they're they're talking. They're they're talking to God. This is something that that we really struggle with as a church, and that we're we're afraid to pray out loud. And I believe the it's the same sin. It's it's caring about the uh, the approval of others instead of the approval of God. Uh, Beverly back there. Hey Beverly, I have to give you kudos last week uh, for praying out loud, Uh, Beverly. If you know her. She's not a person that's going to volunteer to pray out loud. I've been in a home community with her. She'd be the last person that's going to volunteer to pray. But she's also a worship leader in our church. And so part of leading worship is leading people in corporate prayer. So last week, Beverly did that, and she wrote out her prayer. And she told us ahead of time, hey, I wrote out a prayer because I don't want to you know, stumble and think about, what is it. i got to say all the right things, I'm going to write it out. It was awesome. It was an awesome prayer. And you did what, it, what, what God was calling you to do. You didn't say, I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. I'm going to pray out loud. That was awesome. I think think we need to to take those real tangible steps of obedience of of learning how to to pray. And so whether we struggle with praying out loud for the approval of men, or whether you struggle with the fear of men being the reason that you don't pray, here's the answer to that struggle. If if you're at either end of that spectrum, if you say, I'm too afraid of what people are going to think about me, or uh, maybe I'm praying out loud because I want everybody to approve of me. Here's the answer in verse 6. Here's what we do. It's all about knowing God, knowing the Father. Jesus says, But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will will reward you. There's nothing wrong with corporate prayer, but Jesus encourages a personal prayer to the Father. And it's meant to be... a. I would say a large part of our faith is spending time just talking to God and 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 praying to him. It's a it's a little it's a little one-on-one time with daddy. Um I don't know about you guys. That was something that I had to learn how to do. It didn't come naturally. I was kind of a kind of a macho guy, and the idea of like being intimate with God. Uh, and really pour my heart out was something that didn't come real, come real natural to me. Uh, I, had to, I had to really, really practice it uh, in understanding, you know, get, I had to get a right understanding of, of who God is and, and, and spending time with Him. Uh, and as, as I processed through that, a lot of my issues, my daddy issues with God, uh, came from my issues with my earthly father. Um, uh, many of you guys, and I know your, your stories, we don't, didn't have great dads. You know, I mean, we, we had uh, sinful dads, you know, and, uh, and, and we were the recipients of that sin. And, I, and I've shared my story here a lot uh, with you guys about, about my dad. But one of the things that I realized is because I had such a dysfunctional relationship with my earthly father, uh, that filtered into my relationship with my heavenly father. And the way that I view father, my earthly dad, and that relationship has a natural overflow into the, the view of, that I have with God. Uh, my dad was a distant dad, and so my God was a distant God. That's, that's all I knew. So the idea of sitting down and being intimate, man to man, never happened. I have no memories of that with, with my father. So I, I had to learn it. I had to unlearn some things that I had, some characteristics of my earthly father that I had placed on God were not accurate and they weren't right. I had to unlearn those things. If you're in a similar place, if, if you, if let's say you have a, uh, an unhealthy relationship with your dad. You have an unhealthy picture of fatherhood. I want to send you guys to a resource. Um, this every year the men in the church get away to a, a camp. It's called Men's Roundup. Uh, and this past year uh, they had these breakout sessions. And one of the sessions were led was were led by a guy named Bill Clem. Uh, he's a he's a pastor here in in Portland. And the session was called Transforming Fatherhood. And about four or five of you guys, I think, went there with me. Uh, and it was, it, it was powerful for me to listen to him talk because it, may, it, may, it allowed me to draw some connections between me and my earthly dad and me and my heavenly father. And since that talk, I've actually changed the way that I pray, and it's actually been really, really helpful. So if you're interested in, in listening to that talk, uh, you can go to www.mensroundup.com. And then you click on Previous Roundups. It's got the last couple of years recorded sessions. And the first one that pops up is a Bill Clem. It's a, it's a video message, and it's called... Um, uh, I just said it a minute ago. Uh, transforming fatherhood. So please check that out. I think it could be a, a great resource for you as, as, it, as it was for me. So, uh, so after I've kind of unlearned those things and changed the way that I, I kind of pray to God, well, uh, my understanding of God, then I had to think, well, what does this private prayer look like that Jesus is talking about? You know, if, if, if just pr- prayer to the Father is going to help me in, in understanding who He is and this fear that I have of other people, what does that look like? Well, Jesus, you know, He gives us a model prayer there, at the end of this passage of Scripture. Uh, but even in that, Jesus' model prayer leaves out a lot of things. It's, it's not meant to be the way to pray as much as here is a way to pray. It's just a, a model that we can go off of. But we can look throughout the Scriptures. We can look at Jesus' other prayers. We can look at, at the prayers throughout the New Testament. And, and basically, there's five things that I think can make up uh, a private prayer life. Uh, Royce talks about them in a little acronym that he calls TAXI. Uh, it's thanksgiving, adoration, confession, supplication, and uh, and intercession. When you look throughout the prayers in Scripture, you see those five things going on. Thanksgiving, adoration, confession, supplication, and intercession. We've talked a lot about those as a a church. But primarily, I believe the first two, thanksgiving and adoration, are most absent in our prayers. Uh, A lot of times we have this awesome opportunity to pray to God, and we turn it into a list of wants and asks. Now, asking things of God is, is, is very important. He tells us to do that in multiple parables. In the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us this day our daily bread, right? It's, it's good to go before God and ask for daily substance. These are the things that I need to survive, God. Would you, would you provide for me? But before you get to any of that stuff, we're to spend some time in thanksgiving, And an adoration of of remembering who God is, remembering what he has done. Remembering these great works, this this grace that's been given to us. And in doing that, that's when we connect with dad. When we remember how good of a father he is. Um, I sometimes uh, go to bed anxious. I don't know when you guys are most anxious during the day. Some people it's in the morning when they get up. Uh, some people, it's right in the midst of it. Mine's late at night uh, when I'm laying there in the dark uh, and, uh, and I'm having to, to, and I start to think, right? Um, it's, it's been cool to see God is doing a work in me in this. Uh, <laughs> three years ago when I started this job, I was really anxious. <laughs> and a couple of years later, I'm not as anxious, but there's still some sanctifying work that God needs to do there. Um, but as I was thinking back about this, and me and my wife talk a lot about, you know, why am, why am I so anxious at night? I, I go through seasons of insomnia, uh, of getting up and, and getting out of bed and pacing and, and, the, and the whole deal. Uh, one of the things I realized, and it was kind of an epiphany for me, um, as, I, as I thought about it this week, is that I'm most anxious at night because it's quiet and I have time to think, right? The world slows down and it's just you in the darkness, Um, And in that moment, I don't have um, my busyness to keep me distracted, right? Or I don't have all of my tasks to be a warm blanket around me. So during the day, I'm doing things, doing, 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 doing. And those things give me a sense of security in who I am. Look at me, I'm productive, you know? Uh, and, I, and I've taken my, my task, my daily routine, and turned it into an idol in my life because it's a thing that I turn to for security. But at night, in the dark, quiet hours of my bedroom, I can't hide behind my productivity. And what I truly believe about God comes out in that moment. And so if you, like me, struggle with that, with these moments of anxiety... It should say a lot about an unhealthy understanding you have about the Father and who He is and the work that He is doing. Because it's in the moments like that that we should stop and we should go to the Father and we should remind ourselves of how great He is. That should be a regular part of our faith, of stopping we get to a quiet place and I'm going to spend some time in thanksgiving and adoration before God. And then I'm going to ask you know, I'm going to ask of God. I'm going to confess sin on my part. I'm going to find forgiveness. I'm going to pray for myself, right? I'm going I'm to uh, supplication. I'm going to pray for me, an intercession. I'm going I'm to pray for other people. That should be a regular part. I believe, that's what Jesus is, I believe that's what Jesus is calling us to in this passage. And when we do that, then we won't struggle as much with what other people think about us. We won't worry about corporate prayer because we'll be comfortable in our own skin with who God is. Uh, another aspect I believe of of uh, of faith of this of this time with God is also just uh, enjoying God. Uh, I have to. I know it sounds pathetic. I have to practice enjoying God. I ha- I have to I have to. Pra- I'm a I'm a doer, so I have to practice putting my feet up and not doing anything. And then in that moment, just basking in all that, in all that God is. Uh, that's not something that comes real, real naturally to me. But I believe that's a part of this time when we get away with God. Whether it's during the day or, or you know, one of these beautiful days that God has graced us with in Portland. You know, some, summer and 79 degrees coming up pretty soon, this, I think today. is to take some time and rest in the truth of God. Lay on the hammock. Watch your kids play. These things can be incredibly worshipful to God. Because in the moments of rest when you're not doing anything, it really makes you think about God. You don't have your actions to hide behind. You have to just trust in Him. I used the analogy last week that, uh, that a relationship with God is like riding a sailboat. It's like riding on a sailboat. It's, it's not like being in a rowboat. And, and that analogy has been really helpful for me because I feel like many times my relationship with God is like a rowboat and I'm rowing. Like, okay, we're going somewhere, God. Here we go. Just, you just got to keep rowing. Just don't stop rowing. And it's in the rowing that I find like I'm going somewhere. makes sense? Well, the cool thing about thinking about your relationship with God is like riding a sailboat because on a sailboat, the wind does the majority of the work. You just sit back. There's a few things that you got to do here and there, especially if you're going into the wind. You know, if you've ever gone sailing before, if you're going into the wind, you have to constantly go back and forth and back and forth, keep turning the rudder, you're pushing against the wind to make forward movement. It takes a little more work, but then you get out to a certain point, and what do you do? You turn around, and you just sit into the wind, and you just sail, Right? Uh, my, last time I sailed was my, my we grew up sailing. My, I had a family member that had a big sailboat. But the last time I went sailing was uh, uh, my senior trip. I graduated from high school. And me and a bunch of friends uh, chartered a catamaran. And we took it out into one of the bays down south. And, uh, and I have this uh, amazing uh, memory of, of, uh, of uh, sailing out into the sunset. You know, a catamaran is a sailboat. It has the big net in between the two sides. And, uh, and a bunch of us, we were all laying out on that net. Uh, and you're basically floating above the water as it's going underneath you in the wind and the wind and the and the smell of the ocean and, and and it's always stuck in my mind as as this moment of of just exhilaration and freedom and and rest and so I, this week I was like I had to transfer that into my relationship with God because when I when I when I'm comfortable with who God is and and all this work that he's doing it's like just sitting back and feeling the wind in your hair and and smelling, smelling the ocean. It's, it's something that God's doing. It's not something that I have control of necessarily. And that's incredibly freeing and incredibly pow- empowering. I think our private prayer life should be like filling the wind in our hair and, and the embrace of God. That is the thing that, that helps us have a right understanding. Our, our Father, and it says that our Father who sees in secret real reward. Right, I mean that's what what Jesus is saying here. Truly, I say to you, they have received. He says, uh, "But when you pray, yeah, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who sees in secret, and your Father will reward in secret." Do you know what that reward is? Satisfaction in God. In those moments when you pray, and and there's all this. Craziness going on in life, and there's brokenness, and there's sin against us, and there's 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 health issues, and there's financial issues, and there's you know, my job and my kids, and uh ah. and, and to stop in that moment and to realize that that I am I am loved by God, that I am embraced by God. The Father cares about me. I am never far away from the Father. You know, to to realize that in that moment God says I am well pleased with you. That's identity language. That changes who I am. That changes the way I relate with you guys and, and, and with my family. And the cool thing is, when we do that, all of a sudden public prayer just becomes an overflow of this private prayer life that we have with God. Because when I'm, when I'm, when I'm comfortable with God, then when I come before you guys, I can be comfortable with you guys and I can pray out loud. When I'm secure with God, then I'm secure with my friends. I'm secure with my church family, secure with my my, uh, my boss, my coworkers. So if during our public prayer, when we're, when we're called to pray, if we spend the majority of our brain power making sure not to say something that will offend anyone or make ourselves look foolish, the answer to that, spend more time privately praying to God. And then it will become this natural overflow. So Jesus goes on and he says that prayer is also meant to so not just be a, be, a, be a bunch of words. Look at this here in, in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. And he goes into the Lord's Prayer. The, the, the Gentiles the, were the unbelievers, right? They were the ones, the non-Jewish people in the Bible. Uh, The way that they prayed was they had multiple gods that they believed in, hundreds of gods possibly that they believed in. So they would come up with a prayer of something they needed, prosperity, my crops to do well, healing. And then they would pray that same prayer to different gods over and over and over again. And so their prayers sounded like a bunch of empty words because they would stand there for hours repeating the same prayer to a different god, to a different god, to a different god right, over over and over again. And that's why he says it sounds like empty phrases. The point that Jesus is making is that prayer is not about length. It's about our heart. Jesus says that the Father knows what we need even before we ask of it. That shouldn't stop us from asking. The point I made a minute ago, we need to ask of God. But there's a, a satisfaction that comes in, in knowing that you've asked, and God will give you what you need. Right? It's not about a long, drawn-out prayer. It's just about asking and then saying, okay, God, I I trust you. I trust what you're doing. I trust that you're going to give me today what I need for today. That should be a part of of the Christian faith. Now, Jesus then goes on to give us a model of prayer. I'm not actually going to be teaching through uh, the Lord's Prayer today. Uh, The reason I'm not is because we've done it multiple times here as a church. We've we've exegeted that passage of Scripture. Um, But I do want to point you to a really helpful resource. If you've never heard just an awesome teaching on the Lord's Prayer, and you're like, I don't really understand what he means by that. Why does he start it this way? Why does he pray about those specific things? Uh, We taught about that here at this church a few years back. So you can go to our church website, redcchurch.org, click on Resources, Sermon Audio, and then scroll down to January eighth, two 2012. And Mr. Royce Curtis Uh, spoke on the Lord's Prayer. He just walked all the way through that passage and it's an awesome teaching. So you and Bill Clem, that's my go-to for today is for people to, (laughs) you like being in them shoes. Um, So use those resources, take the time, listen to the podcast this week, it'd be a grateful resource. But I do just want to hit on the first verse of the Lord's Prayer because I think it really summarizes all that Jesus is saying here uh, in this passage of Scripture. Jesus starts off the prayer and he says, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be, be your name. What an amazing way to, to start, off a, start off a prayer. For Jesus to start off a prayer saying our father is basically him saying daddy to a group of people. That would have been scandalous to his audience if they would have heard that. Because the Jews had this very high view of who God was. He was not a personal God. He was, he was Jehovah. Right? He was Yahweh. He was a a transcendent being. Well, we believe that God is, yes, transcendent, but God is also incredibly intimate. And in this prayer, Jesus, in that first line of Scripture, addresses those two extremes of who God is. He says, Daddy, Abba, Father. Right? The intimacy, he brings God close. But then he also says, Hallowed be your name right? Holy is the name of God. And I think when we pray, it's important for us to remember those, those two extremes, that God is, yes, transcendent. He is beyond anything that we could ever think or imagine. He is more powerful than we could ever wrap our mind around. But and he is, he is holy, and His name is holy. But in the same way, God is, is intimate, and He's a Father that, that loves His children I think if we prayed like that, just we don't have to pray the Lord's Prayer exactly the way that it is, uh, but I think if we just started off our prayers saying, Father, hallowed be your name. Father, your name is great. And then we spent some time meditating on that truth, thanking him for who he is, praising his glorious works. It would get us in the right mindset to then go on and to ask of God. And the cool thing is when we pray this way, it stops us from becoming conceited, It stops us from practicing our righteousness before others. So then what would it look like to to start a prayer like that and and then just stop and meditate on the reality of that truth? I want to encourage you guys this week uh, to spend some time in in private prayer, meditating on fatherhood and meditating on on how good... uh, the father is. Uh, look at what Paul says about this. He's talking to a group of people about uh, what it means to be a, uh, an heir of Christ, what it means to be one of his children. He says this in Romans eight fifteen. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, right? That whole idea of uh, God's not a taskmaster. I, I don't have to do all of these works to make him love me. So uh so you do not receive a spirit to, of fear, to fall, slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Amen. That's who we are. And the way that you choose to live your life when you leave this place will determine if you believe that to be true. And if it's not, go back to dad. Spend time with dad. Meditate on the truth of who dad is and his love for you. I'm going to end here. Um, uh, At bedtime, uh, we have a a kissing routine that we do in our household with our girls. I don't know if you guys' parents have a kissing routine. Everybody has a bedtime routine, but ours is kissing. Uh, and it's, uh, it's butterfly kisses, Eskimo kisses, goofy kiss, regular kiss, uh, blow on the neck. And then lastly, it ends with whispering in each other's ears something that we love about them. Uh, and we've been doing this for years with our kids. I, we'll take, I'm with Jamie, and she's with Nat, and then we do the swap, and, and she gets over there and they do it. Uh, but the last one has been really, really uh, interesting for us because my children, when it comes to whispering something they love in my ear, Uh, they typically love something uh, that I do. Uh, They say, I love you because you're the greatest dad in the world. Or uh, for Jamie, they'll say, I love you because you're the funnest mom in the world. Uh, Me and Jamie, they did it one night this week, and and we went back and and we sat down in the the bed. And I was telling Jamie that um, when I whisper in my kids' ears, uh, I don't love them because of something that they do. I always choose something that they are. It's something that I love about them and about who they are as a, as a person. Because I think it's so important that my children know that my love for them isn't dependent on what they do, but who they are. They are my children. And because they are my children, they are, they are loved by me. Their love, my love for them surpasses their actions. And it goes straight to their, to their identity. You as the church need to know that, that this is the love of a father for you. God loves you that way. Not because of the things that you do. But because of who you are. You are his child. You have been adopted by him. When that truth hits your heart, the Christian life becomes kicking your feet up and feeling the wind in your hair, and enjoying this journey with God. When we come to the tables in a minute, I want you guys to know the, the, the love of the Father, that He would send His Son for you. That's why we take communion every single week. It's a reminder of, yes, I, I am sinful. I am the prodigal son. But I am also incredibly loved by God because of something that He has done. And when we, when we get that as a church, then being the church is going to be a breeze. So let's, let's, let's go to that. Let's go before God and worship and taking communion and giving of our tithes and offerings. And let's spend some time just singing to our dad and feeling the warm embrace of, of, a, of a father who, uh, who loves his creation and loves his children. Let's pray. Uh, father, we, we come before you uh, exalting your name, Father. Hallowed be uh, the name that is above every name. Uh, God, you are... Uh, everything that we are not, you are good, you are right, you are perfect in every way. You are, you are greater than, than our greatest imagination. You are beyond time, you are beyond space, uh, Father. You, you, you are sovereign uh, in every way before even the foundation of the world was laid, God. You have been and you always will be, uh, God. And we just acknowledge that, Father. We acknowledge your, your, your transcendence. Father, but we also acknowledge that, that you love us, that before any of us were ever born, uh, God, you, you knew us. You chose uh, the days of our life, God. When, when you were knitting us together in our mother's womb, uh, you knew us in a more intimate way than we could ever grasp. So we just thank you for that. We thank you that you, you showed your love for us and that, uh, that you sent your son who did not account equality quality with you, a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself to this, to this earth and died a sacrifice so that we could be in relationship with you, so that our sins could be paid for. Uh, Father, please open up the eyes of our heart to receive that truth today, to receive the love of the Father, to receive the warm embrace of, of, uh, of our God. Father, we, we pray that you would continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would be able to do these good works that you've called us to, but they wouldn't be done out of fear of you or fear of man. Uh, I'm sorry, they wouldn't be done out of, out of just a fear of man, but they would be, be done out of an understanding of, of who you are and, uh, and your righteousness, uh, God. So we, uh, we come before you, we ask these things of you, we ask them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.